Man, good morning. It is so good to have you guys here today. If we've not met yet, my name is Brian Haas. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we have been in a series all on prayer. We're actually going to wrap that up here in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do, uh, families, uh, no matter what your family dynamic looks like, kids, no kids, they're out of the house, married, not married, uh, whoever is around you, I'm sure you and those people have experienced this word, adjust. Everybody has to adjust, right? Adjustments are part of life. We've had to adjust a lot just this last week when you talk like sick kids and adjusting schedules. Maybe you've got a different job or a new job, and so there's adjustments around that. Uh, many of you had to adjust this morning as you came into a parking lot that didn't look like a parking lot uh, this morning with all kinds of... Can we just say thank you to our parking lot volunteers real quick? Man, they do an incredible job, and we gave them quite the task this morning. So there's always adjustments in life, but I think one of the, the most recent adjustments that have kind of been, it's still very, very fresh. It's just within the last, uh, I mean, what, six days, I guess, technically. Uh, this adjustment's been very fresh in the life of the Haas family and the Haas household, and it has kind of... Well, I'm not going to lie here. I mean, it has really adjusted our schedules. It has adjusted what we do. It's adjusted where we go as a family. Uh, so this last week has been a lot of adjustments in our house uh, because of this right here. You familiar with this? I don't know what we're going to do for the next eight to 10 weeks because we're like, well, what do we do for dinner? We apparently have other restaurants in Dawson County I wasn't aware of, so we've had to adjust where we eat. Uh, milkshakes are a big deal in the Haas family, so where else do we go to get milkshakes? Like Everything has changed this last week because of that sign. It's been an adjustment. We are constantly adjusting. Now, here's an opinion. I'm going to say this, and we're going to talk through it here in just a second. I believe that because we're so used to making adjustments just in life, I feel like we carry that over, not necessarily in the right way, into our Christian life. And here's what I mean by that, is we look at our Christian life, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you look at your life and you begin to see, well, I need to make some more, and we use that word, adjustments. But that's not what we see in Scripture, let me say it this way. Following Jesus is a new life, not an adjusted life. And so often we present um, our lives to Jesus and we say, great, here's my life. Jesus, what would you like to tweak? What would you like to adjust? What would you like to see happen a little bit differently? And let me adjust around it. And, and I, I get it. Like the intention is not necessarily wrong but you're missing out on the brand new life that he desires for you and for me. Following Jesus as a believer, as a Christian, it's not, Jesus, what do you want to adjust in my life? It's recognizing the new life that he desires to give you. Now, I bring that up because we've been in this series all on prayer. We've been looking at prayers that are pretty big prayers. And these prayers are not prayers that just adjust your life. It's not, Jesus, I have some things going on and I need you to make some tweaks. It's not, Jesus, I have some needs. We've talked about provision, so I just need you to, to show up so that you can adjust this one piece of my life or fix this one piece of my life. No, when we recognize that following Jesus gives us a new life, our prayers should reflect that. So we've been praying these prayers the way we've been talking about them are prayers of, do you remember, what are they? Prayers of so we need to start back at week one. 
So all the way back in, no, prayers of exchange. Now, oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. There's prayers of provision. There's prayers of intervention. There's prayers of conversation, which are all great. We're told to pray those. But the prayers of, say it with me now that we've said it already, already exchange. There we go. These prayers of exchange say, God, here's my life. It's yours. And in return, we exchange our life for the life that he wants to give us. We exchange our desires for the desires he wants us to have. We exchange our wants with him, and he gives us the wants he desires us to hold on to. Those prayers of exchange speak not to an adjusted life of following Jesus, but to a new life that he gives us. So the prayer that we're going to see today is in Luke chapter 9. If you got your Bibles, be there. would love to have you follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a stack of Bibles right outside in the lobby. Uh, man, grab a Bible, put your name in it, write in it, bring it with you on Sundays, and please use it throughout the week. Uh, Luke chapter 9, before we get to that prayer, that, that prayer of exchange, we're going to see Jesus actually in the midst of a prayer ask a very important question, so we need to start a little bit earlier. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18 one day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, here's this question, who do people say I am? What a great question. He looks at his disciples that have been with him, and, and they've heard rumors from other people of what people think and say about Jesus. So he's asking them, tell me, what do people think about me? Who do people say that I am? Verse 19, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. So in other words, here's what everybody's saying about you, Jesus. Oh, and then he makes it personal. Jesus has a way of doing that. Verse 20. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Not who does everybody else say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. You are our Savior. You are who we need. You are who we've been waiting for. You, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Savior, my Lord, my King, the Son of the living God. The reason we start there, and I believe the reason Jesus started there as well, is because we have to first answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Because depending on how you answer that question, that will determine the types of prayers you pray. If it's Jesus, man, you are just a really, really smart guy. Your prayers are going to be a lot of, hey, give me wisdom and help me. If it's Jesus, you're a really, really good teacher. Then it's going to be, Jesus, what do you want to show me? How do you want to grow me? But if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is your Savior, if he is your King, if he is your Lord, then that's a very, very, very different prayer. So let's pray. And we'll begin to see what that looks like. Lord, we come before you, and, and as you ask your, as you asked your disciples that question, God, I want us to wrestle with that today. Jesus, who do we say you are? I pray we don't answer that question lightly. I pray we don't gloss over that question. In the midst of difficulties, in the midst of blessings in the midst of the highs and the lows and everywhere in between, I pray we answer that question with all of our heart, that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are my Savior. You are my King. So Jesus, if we answer it that way, may our prayer lives change to reflect it. 
If we're not sure how to answer that question, I pray that Jesus, through your spirit, you would speak today. So Holy Spirit, we're listening. Speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we keep going through chapter 9, now that that question's been thrown out there, the rest of chapter 9, we're going to kind of bounce around, but as you follow the progression of Luke chapter 9, we see this idea building all around that one question, who do you say I am? So from that question, again, that was just his disciples. That was a very intimate moment. That was a very uh, intimate question that he asked just with his disciples. If you go down to verse 23, we see now there's a crowd. This isn't just Jesus and his 12 disciples. It's not Jesus and just a few followers. We're told in chapter 9, verse 23, then he said to the crowd. So there's a huge crowd, and you can imagine why there's a crowd. If you look back in your Bible, before we got to that, we see that he had just fed 5,000 people. It was a miracle. It was amazing. No wonder there's a crowd of people following him. There's all these people that are crowded around Jesus, wanting to know more about him, wanting to follow him. And so then Jesus looks and turns to the crowd. And before you see it, know that there's probably a great opportunity for a wonderful motivational speech here. Like as you've got all the crowds with you, that's when you start pumping everybody up. That's when you start talking about taking the hill and we can do this together. It seems like this would be the perfect opportunity for Jesus to rally the troops, so to speak. But instead, we see something very different. Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, look at this, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily. That speaks to suffering. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I imagine the crowd got real quiet. Verse 24, he explains with one more sentence, a couple more sentences. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Do you see the exchange that Jesus is is talking about here? It's like if you try to just hold on to what's yours, if you just try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will say, my life is yours, if you say, I'm fully surrendered, that's where we actually find that new life. Again, it's not an adjusted life. It is a new life, but that new life requires surrender full surrender. See, oftentimes we confuse this idea of following Jesus. We confuse it with admiring Jesus, liking Jesus, respecting Jesus, loving Jesus. That's very different than fully following and surrendering your life to him. And again, there's a huge crowd here, so I would imagine that this crowd really liked Jesus. Now, we know there's plenty of people that didn't like Jesus, but at least in this moment, most of these people probably liked Jesus. They admired Jesus, but there's a very big difference in admiring Jesus and following Jesus. And so he kind of draws a line in the sand. He says, it's not just about you liking me. It's not about you even agreeing with me. He says, no, if you want to fully follow me, it's going to require this word, surrender. It's going to require us to fully surrender our lives if we're going to fully follow Jesus. It's not about admiring him. It is about following him and surrendering fully to him. So now we're going to get some examples of that. If you keep going through chapter 9, towards the very end of chapter 9, starting in verse 57, we actually see three examples. Three examples of individuals that had the opportunity to follow Jesus. In some cases, it was them telling Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. In other cases, it was Jesus calling them, no, come and follow me. But in each three of these cases, we are going to see them fall just a little bit short, 
to stop just a little bit short of what surrender actually looks like. And again, now this isn't, this isn't just like, like poke holes at their story. Like this could be all of us as well. All right, so as we read through these stories, I want you to pay attention first that Jesus is constantly calling, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Yes, yes, please come follow me. But also pay attention to what gets in the way of that. Where do we kind of pull up just a little bit short? Yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but we looked at Moses' story last week where Jesus said, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, no, I might do a lot of things, but I'm not going to do that one thing. Where do we begin to follow up short? Where do we stop short of fully following Jesus and completely surrendering our lives to him? So that's what I want you to look for in these next three examples. Here's the first one. Verse 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, what a great statement. What a great declaration. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. I believe that I'm going to follow you wherever you go. We would expect Jesus to give them like a high five and like, welcome to the gang. Let's go. Instead, verse 58, but Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. You sure you want to follow me and use that word wherever? You sure about that? Because if we know anything about what we've studied through these, these exchange prayers, is that Jesus rarely calls us to more comforting, more comfortable situations. He usually calls us, and it's a place that causes us to give up or surrender our comfort, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but at least with me, I feel like it just happens all the time. The moment I get comfortable at home, like the moment I sit on the couch and get my feet up, immediately in the moment of, oh, I've been waiting for this comfortable moment, is the moment that then I hear the word dad. Usually it's accompanied by a hey at first. It's hey dad. So I'll sit on the couch, it's hey dad. Or it's, I'll finally get into bed. We got the kids all, all taken care of. And so then I finally get into bed, get the covers, and I'm ready to turn out the light. And then my wife next to me says, hey, babe, have you checked all the doors? It's like, yes, I've checked all the doors. Are you sure? Right? It's, it's, you couldn't have waited. Until you, you had to do it until I got comfortable. You couldn't have done this until like after or before. You had to wait until I finally got comfortable and it's, hey, dad, or hey, what about? And somebody finds you when you start to get comfortable. And man, I feel like that's just a God thing. I feel like that's how God works. We finally get comfortable, finally get used to something, and then like, oh, hey, let me change that up a little bit on you. Hey, I've got something I need to call you to, and it's going to require you to move outside of what you just got comfortable with. So for Jesus to say what he said to this man, he's really saying, are you you say you're willing to follow me, but are you willing to follow me truly wherever? Because I feel like what we tend to say, right? At least I feel like I've said this before, is I will follow you, but not there. I will follow you, but not to that place, or to not with that person, or not in that situation. Jesus, I will follow you, absolutely, wherever you go, as long as it's not in one of these places. Or it's not with you asking one of these things. And we have our comfort zone so tightly held on to that we say yes to Jesus as long as. As long as you don't mess with what's comfortable to me. Right? When we, when we say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, 
we're really surrendering our lives, and that includes surrendering all parts of our lives, surrendering even the comfortable parts. When we say yes to Jesus, when we follow Jesus, our prayers are not, make me more comfortable. Our prayers become, God, my life is yours, whatever you want to do. I might not get it. I might not understand it. Man, I might not even like it, but my life is yours. So wherever you call me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Wherever you go, I will follow. Even, maybe I would say not even even, but especially when it's not comfortable. Here's the second example, verse 59. He said to another person, come and follow me. The man agreed. Again, great news, great heart, great desire. I'm going to follow Jesus. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus' reply is a little unexpected, might even sound a little harsh. Verse 60, but Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Let me talk context and culture just for a second. That helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. Is Jesus saying you are not allowed to go to your father's funeral? No, of course not. No, what it tends to be, and Jesus has taken, um, he's taken the literal words here and he's making it a little bit more understandable as far as what he's truly asking people to do in regards to following him. Culturally and contextually, what most likely uh, happened here is this man says, yes, I would love to follow you, but I still have some responsibilities Even more so than our culture today, the children were required to be responsible for their parents as they got older and older and older. Not just taking care of them as parents, but taking care of the family business, taking care of the other siblings, taking care of the whole estate, like taking care of it all. So the way that we we should probably read this, the way that most would read this is not this man's father has died and he's in the middle of funeral arrangements. No, what's understood is This man has a lot of responsibilities because his father has not yet passed away. So he has a lot of responsibilities to his parents still. He has a lot of responsibilities at home still. He has a lot of things that people are looking at him to take care of. And he's like, I can't just like leave all that to go follow you, Jesus. Once my father dies, then I can figure out the family estate. I can get everybody situated. Then at that time, Jesus, I can begin to follow you. Quick little side note. This probably has a little something to do with it, probably, is in that time as well, if you were a child that was expecting an inheritance and you were not present when that family member passed away, you miss out on the inheritance. So there's probably a little something there too. If I leave now, Jesus, not only am I going to leave all my responsibilities behind, but I'm going to leave a little bit cash behind too. I need to still be here until all of these orders are taken care of, until all of my affairs are in order and everything's taken care of. That's how we should read what's happening here. That's even why Jesus, if you notice his word of your duty is to go, your main responsibility is not what you think it is. So maybe this resonates with you. Here's maybe another way to say it is, Jesus, I will absolutely follow you, but not yet. Not yet. I want to follow you. I have a heart to follow you. I even will. This man agreed. My answer is yes later because I have a lot of things that I need to get taken care of first. I have a lot of responsibilities that need my attention and my focus. I have things that I need to get taken care of first. But Jesus, I promise, once all of these things are buttoned up, then I'm yours. But not yet. This is what spiritual procrastination looks like. 
right? We all have a little bit of a procrastinator in us. Spiritual procrastination is, yes, I'll follow you later. I will follow you. You know, once we start having kids, we want our kids in church. So, man, we will fully surrender. We will fully follow once we start having kids. And we want to get them back in church, and we want them to be raised right. Yes, I'll follow you, but man, I need a less demanding job. Like right now, like things are crazy. So yes, I'll follow you, but right now I need to really focus on my work. Yes, I'll follow you, but man, my life is a mess. So once I kind of pick all the pieces together and I get all these relationships straightened out, then Jesus, my answer will be yes. Yes, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to need some more time. So how about we look at retirement? Man, I hear retirement is great. I'm going to have so much free time. Jesus, you're not going to know what to do with me all the time. So my answer is yes when that happens. Jesus, my answer is yes. I need to make just a little bit more money because right now it's super tight. So Jesus, yes, but once I make a little bit more money, then I'm fully in. Jesus, my answer is yes, but not yet. Oh, and we have a list of things that we're waiting on. And Jesus is clear. Your responsibility, your main responsibility is with me. Does that mean all those other things don't matter? No, of course not. They absolutely matter. But which one's number one? You can only have a number one spot for one thing. Jesus says, your duty, your main responsibility is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Let other things take care of themselves. Let me worry about that, he's saying. Oftentimes, all of our responsibilities keep us from our main responsibility. All the things keep us from our most important thing. All the relationships keep us from our most important and valuable relationship. Here's the third one. Verse 61, another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. You're seeing a theme here. They're all saying yes. But, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Now, if that's not, I mean, that seems super reasonable. Like, Jesus, he just wants to go and say bye so they didn't think he got abducted or something crazy. Like, let him go say bye to his family. Verse 62, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What's Jesus' point? Here's his point. Think about what this man said, but then also what that literally would look like. So this man says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you that way. But first, I need to go over here. That's even why Jesus uses that phrase. Anybody who looks back or turns back. So this man is like, yes, I'm going to go with you, but first I need to go over here. Yes, I'm going to follow you, but hang on, I need to be this. Do you see that tug of war that begins to happen? And I'm sure if you're like me, you feel that at times. Jesus, I want to say yes, but hang on, I've got something over here. Jesus, I'm saying yes to you, but hang on, I noticed something over here. You know what SOS stands for? Say it with me. What is it? Technically, yes, that's one. There's two. There's save our shift. There's another one, and I'm not making this up. Are you ready for this one? Shiny object syndrome. Have you heard of this? this is, Google it. It is a real thing. Let me read this to you. Shiny object syndrome is literally, here's the quote about it. It is a continual state of distraction brought on by an ongoing belief that there is something new worth pursuing. SOS, shiny object syndrome. Squirrel! would be another way to say it. That's what this is. That's what Jesus was pushing against in this man. This man was like, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, squirrel. And Jesus is like, no, like, I need your focus. I need your attention. Don't let anything else distract you. Because let's just play this scenario out. 
And again, I know we're probably making some assumptions here, but I'm putting myself in this man's shoe. Yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but hang on, I got some other people I need to give my attention to first. And you know what happens when you go home? When you go home, it's not just, bye, I'll, I'll see you later. It's, oh, well, before you go, can you do this? Hang on, we have a question about this. Hang on, wait, wait, hang on. I tell you what, why don't you spend the night? Let's get all this stuff. You see what begins to happen there? And before you know it, this man has totally forgotten about Jesus' call because he's been distracted by all the other things that have grabbed his attention. You cannot just say, I'll be, I'm going to go home for like one minute and then I'll be right back. That does not ever happen. You get sucked into so many other things. We get distracted and our attention gets stolen by other people that want us and need us. So Jesus is saying, no, don't even give yourself an opportunity to be distracted. Don't let your attention be divided. This person might say something along these lines of, I will follow you, but what's that? I will follow you, but what's over there? I will follow you, but hey, let me go check this out. It's yes, I'll follow you, but then there's this distraction. There's this uh, tension that is constantly being stolen. And before you know it, you've missed the call. You said yes, but you've been distracted. Shiny object syndrome in our spiritual life looks like divided attention. Jesus says, yes, come follow me, but don't allow your, ten- your attention to be stolen by other things and other people. I want all of you. Do you notice the trend here with all three of these? All three had a desire to follow Jesus. All three said yes in some form or fashion to Jesus. And we don't know how their story ends. We don't know if they said, "Ah, sorry, Jesus, I really am going to go take care of this, or I am going to do, I'll wait. We don't know how the story ends for each of them. We do know what Jesus called them to, complete surrender. Each and every one of these individuals, and man, we could put ourselves in each of those three. Jesus, my answer is yes, but there's a part of my life that I'm not quite ready to surrender Following Jesus is not just following him around. Following Jesus is completely surrendering our lives to him. And each of these examples here, each of these individuals that said yes to Jesus, Jesus was asking them to surrender the one thing they had not yet surrendered. So yes, come and follow me. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Surrender everything. Yes, come and follow me. And let me be your most important responsibility. Let preaching and telling other people about Jesus be the most important responsibility you have. Yes, you have a lot of things to manage. Let Jesus be the most important. Yes, there's a lot of other people that desire your attention. There's a lot of other things that need you. Great. But don't allow your attention to be so divided that Jesus gets pushed out. Jesus is like, if you want to follow me, let's go back to what we read earlier. Who do you say that I am? Well, if he's really the Messiah, then what does it look like to follow him? Remember, letting go of your life so that you can gain life, exchanging your life for the life that he desires to give you, all of a sudden, we see that again. Following Jesus is not an adjusted life. It is a new life. We cannot stop short. Following Jesus has a lot of follow through, right? It's beyond just the yes, Right? In church language, we call that salvation. The moment you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're the Messiah, I need you to, over, to, to move into my heart. I need you to take away all my sins. That's something I can't do. Like We call that moment salvation. But your life doesn't end there. It begins there. 
The moment you say yes to Jesus now begins a new life where you begin to follow him and completely surrender your life to him. I don't claim to be a golfer, but I do like to golf. You understand the difference there? We all on the same page? I like it, but I'm not a golfer. Uh, there's a part of golf, and really you could apply this to just about any sport. There's different parts of a swing, right? So when you step up to the ball, the, the whole goal is to hit the ball that direction, hopefully straight and eventually into a little tiny hole. It seems impossible. So what you do is you start with a backswing, right? But this doesn't do any good yet, but it's still necessary. Each part of the swing is necessary, but by itself doesn't just hit the ball. So you have a backswing, and then you have a downswing, and then you have the point of contact, where if you've done those two things correctly, you should theoretically hit the ball. And then if you hit the ball, though, there's a very, very important part you can't miss for all of you avid golfers out there. What is it called after you hit the ball? It's then a follow through. You do not see people come up to the ball, backswing, downswing, hit the ball. Like that doesn't work. It's backswing, downswing, hit, and then follow through. You have to have the follow through. Without the follow through, there's technically contact, but the the movement is not finished. You have stopped short. The life of a Christian, so often we stop short. We have our backswing. Jesus, I'm, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to ask the questions. I'm, I'm going to start figuring out, begin the downswing of Jesus. I think I want you in my heart. And, and we begin to have conversations with other people. And then a moment of contact where the relationship becomes real. Salvation happens. Jesus, I need you in my heart. I'm a sinner. You're my savior. And that moment of contact happens and our lives are forever changed. And then we're like, oh, man, I'm glad that's over. Instead, we've missed the follow through that says, now I'm living a new life. The difference, a main difference between the swing and our life is that motion doesn't stop. The rest of our lives is living this new life in Jesus. And each of these stories that we read through Luke chapter 9 are examples of contact, but stopping short. Contact with Jesus, commitment to Jesus, but not fully surrender and not fully following and not following through. So may we be believers, may we be a church that doesn't just hold on to that salvation. Please don't mishear it. That's the most important decision you'll make. But your life begins the moment you say yes. It's yes in wherever you send me. It's yes in whatever you want to do with me. It's yes in whatever I have. And it's yes in wherever you go. It's constant and continual next steps in following Jesus. Because it's a new life not an adjusted life. Let me put up a couple verses here, um, and I think this is gonna help you, and then we're gonna do our prayer together. Let me put these verses up first. This is what new life begins to look like. We just read out of Luke chapter nine, so that one's very familiar. This might be good. I've been putting these up like this on the screen, so maybe you take pictures and you've got some other passages to work through and study throughout the week. I love Ezekiel. This is God's uh, real prophecy he's giving. Here's what life is gonna look like when my Messiah comes, when my son comes. So he's talking really to us in this, in this part. He says, I will give you a new heart, not an adjusted heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take you out of your stony, stubborn heart and give you something new. Look, tender and responsive. Put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey me. Second Corinthians, this is what that looks like uh, to the new church, the, the New Testament church. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Romans 6, 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So we're going to be celebrating baptisms today. This is why we do it the way that we do it. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live not adjusted lives, not even changed lives, not even different lives, new lives. That's what that follow-through looks like. So all that to be said, what is this? prayer of exchange for us look like. If you got your prayer card, here's what it is for this week. Even though we're talking about it this week, man, I hope it goes beyond just seven days. Here's the prayer. A prayer that we started with, or the, that we said it started with that question, who do you say I am from Jesus's perspective? Who do you say Jesus is? And if he's savior, if he's Messiah, if he's king, then here's the prayer. Jesus, I will follow you. And I love that word fully. It's not just, yeah, I'll follow you when it's convenient, or I'll follow you when I've got the time. I will follow you, but not yet. I'll follow you, but uh, I've got some responsibilities to take care of first. I'll follow you, but let me kind of navigate these new things in my life. Jesus, I will fully follow you, which requires complete surrender. You cannot fully follow Jesus. You cannot do that follow-through if you're still holding tightly to things in your life. Let me go back again. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 9? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you might use the word surrender. If you surrender your life for his sake, you will save it. So Jesus... I will fully follow you, and I surrender my life to you. As we've been doing this whole month, I don't want us to just write prayers and talk about prayers. I don't just want to talk about praying. I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. So to help you, I've always been, been giving you a guide. If you want to follow this, great. If not, that's okay too. Let me walk you through how you can spend the next few moments between you and Jesus and what it looks like to begin to pray prayers of surrender. Here's a few questions to ask Jesus. I believe when you ask Jesus a question, when you ask questions in prayer, chances are really good. We said this the very first week. We said, speak to me, Lord, I wanna listen, I wanna hear. A couple weeks ago, we said, search my heart, oh God, test me, know my thoughts, point out anything that offends you, lead me along the way of everlasting. Like we want God to show us things. Expect God to speak to your heart. What comforts keep me from following you, Jesus? What responsibilities currently are taking priority over following you, Jesus? What else am I pursuing? What is distracting me from following you, Jesus? What is my next step in fully following you? Another way you could say that is, what's my next step in surrender? What do I need to let go of? And lastly, man, and most importantly, I would say, Jesus, thank you for your grace and giving me new life. I want to make sure this is clear. That follow-through that we talk about, that living your life in a new life, does that happen before or after contact is made with the ball? Is that follow-through before or after? What is it? After. Some of you need to go watch some golf this afternoon. It happens after. There's no such thing as a follow-through until you hit the ball. You trying to live the Christian life without first having Jesus as your Lord and Savior doesn't work. It's like trying to have a follow-through before you hit the ball. It doesn't work. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He gives you grace, not because you deserve it, 
He gives it to you because he loves you and he wants to be with you. And then the rest of our life is a thank you to him, is a follow through. But you need to have a relationship with him first. And if you don't, start there. Jesus, I need a relationship with you. So come into my heart and help me live the rest of my life fully following you. Take a few moments between you and your Lord, wrestle through some of these questions, pray to him, and then we'll circle up and we'll pray and we'll pray and sing together.